Welcome to Hollywood 2.0. This is Peter Katz. I've been away in Austin, Texas, enjoying music and barbecue. Now I'm back with a brand new episode where I chat with Maya Zuckerman, a transmedia producer and co-founder of the group Transmedia SF. The, the academic idea of transmedia, and this is how, you know, actually I wrote a little article about it um, where I compared uh, Simon Sinek's uh, Start With Why to Transmedia Storytelling, where, yeah, you got to come from a core, and transmedia storytelling is that core of your brand narrative, your story world, whatever you want to call it, but then you go out of there and you do, and how, how do you actually attract your audience? Well, that's a multi-platform that we have today, the our, our film book, um, uh, iPad, iPhone, laptop, whatever you use as your form. And then what you're actually selling is the, is the final product, whether it's an experience that goes beyond all these things and a story and actual content or an app or anything else, you know, book, a, a real life experience. That's another thing of what that you're selling. But you got you to gotta actually go out there and do it and not just talk about it. Um, and I think that that's what Startup Weekend is all about is the doing. Yeah, that's made it great because everyone has all these theories, but once they actually, you know, hit the ground and start running and, you know, they figure out how is the team going to work together, how are these different ideas going to overlap, and it's it's great to have that prototype because you could keep iterating on it, but, you know, ideas are only as good as um, eventually as they evolve, and so you had a blog post about why, and I think that's good. People need to start questioning, questioning the form, this form of art, this art form, this form of expression, or else it's just something that people it becomes an echo chamber. People need to get out there. They need to expose it to the world, and they need to fail, and they need to keep coming back and and iterating, creating goals, and figuring out what is, how are they going to define their success? You know, and I think that's important. Exactly. And, and, you know, in Silicon Valley and, and, and in the whole area here, there is a concept of failing forward. And this is something what we, you know, really adhere to in, in Transmedia is uh, the, the real startup methodology, the lean startup, the idea of pivoting, of creating an MVP, which is that rapid prototyping process. And, you know, we, well, why we wanted to work with Startup Weekend, and also we did a, a 24-hour jam, Transmedia jam in July, was the idea of rapid prototyping. You've got 24 hours, 54 hours. You have criteria, like a, basically a, a, a constraint of some form, which is a object, uh, uh, sorry, a subject, and um, what are you going to be creating in this criteria? Like, you know, what platforms are you going to be using in both the Startup Weekend and in the trans, Transmedia Jam? We had specific platforms. You know, the Jam, we had, um, we had Fordella, we had X2TV, we had Conductor, and we had Social Samba. And can in, you just give people a little introduction to those if they're not familiar to those different platforms? So for Transmedia Jam, we had these four. And Fordella is, is a hosting, a video hosting and monetization system. X2TV is a layered uh, video, uh, interactive video experience. You can actually layer experiences such as, you know, buttons and hidden buttons. So you can actually have much more of interactive experience from your video. Conductor is what we talked about a few minutes ago is Robert's pervasive entertainment platform where you can actually create uh, multiple engagement touch points with your audience using social media and texting and voice mails. Uh, so all kinds of different interactions. Uh, and Social Samba creates um, a scripted interactive social media experience. So you can actually create a scripted inter interactive uh, story 
with your characters and your audience can actually interact with it in real time. And they just had um, their second, they just released their second uh, project with Psych, the TV show, just today. So the, the one before was called uh, hashtag, uh, ha- Hack Hashtag or... Hashtag Killer. Killer, yeah, that's what it was. And then, and then the new one is, uh, they just announced it today, is uh, uh, Unleash Killer, as uh, it's called right now. So... Uh, so they really are actually using it in the real world with real TV uh, shows. So it's been very, really, really interesting to also see these platforms and see what people do with them. All right. So, so we started seeing that uh, people are taking this seriously. Maybe it's under the umbrella of transmedia or social media, whatever it is. But it, it is, it is what it is. It's an extension of a story over uh, multiple platforms, and. Um, now we'll just uh, move on to a couple different uh, interesting uh, articles that are related to transmedia storytelling and new opportunities with platforms. And uh, the next one we're going to go to is uh, called a, a Critical Shortfall, Who Rates the Transmedia by David Bloom for The Wrap. And here he starts talking about how do you measure the success of a transmedia project. So we could start uh, riffing on uh, this topic. Yes. What are your thoughts on it? So, so you know, I think it's it's one of those things that the the metrics are out there, the tools are out there to to measure it. So the first thing with any kind of project, and you know, I don't even want to say transmedia project, any kind of project, where is your audience, and how do you measure the interaction with them? So you know, when you go out and create any kind of uh, project or prototype, you always have to, and this is something that even Startup Weekend really talks about: is uh, is it com- can, is it commercially viable? Is your audience going to interact with it, and how? Uh, so you start with who's your audience and how are you going to measure your interaction? Um, and, you know, if it's a film or a book, it's very simple. Are they buying the tickets? Are they going to see it? If it's something a little bit more complex, then you can put in the metrics in space. Like, you know, is it a Twitter feed? How many people interact with it? Can you actually track, you know, there's all these tagging tools today where you can track your user's process from point A to point B. You know, can you track that? I know that Conductor has a lot of metrics inside to see and analyze. Uh, also, you have to, to really, you know, when you look at a transmedia project, it's very phased out. And who is your audience? Because you're going to have that upside down pyramid of your rabbit fans and your early adopters, and then you go into the main audience. So, you know, your rabbit fans will interact to a certain point much deeper than your your bigger massive audience that you're that you're looking after, and you got to treat those people very specifically and then you got to treat your bigger audience very specifically and I don't think it's something that right off the bat is a success it's um, you know because we're talking about interaction over time it takes also time to measure that success uh, and I think do you agree with me do you agree that you know it's not it's not like you know you throw in the film and you just see the metrics it's much more involved well I think I think it's I think it's just related to just overall any form of uh, a media if you look at a commercial you can see a TV commercial you can't measure click-throughs because you watch the tv commercial and later on maybe on facebook you're more willing to click some ad that's related to a tv show or that they all kind of work in tandem together so it's hard to gauge the success of um on from one migraine to the next but i think that's a that's the interesting challenge and that's why i picked out this article because it's when you develop this metric is it is a metric because you moved everyone to twitter or or, or you're basically having everyone come to one mothership where they buy a book. And maybe you don't have as... The thing is, maybe you have less people 
interacting with the transmedia campaign, but more of them are buying a, a book or they're um, they're buying a, a, a board game, whatever it is that you're pushing. So that's a question. Is it conversions? Is it awareness? And I think that should be part of the conversation uh, because right now I think sometimes people do transmedia for transmedia's sake. They're like, oh, that's great. It's transmedia. But they don't, I don't feel like there's a real set goals and I don't think they're building around the experience because if you know all you're trying to do is is create awareness, then you're not going to be overly concerned if um, they don't buy the initial uh, you know book that this is springing out of. They initially, you're just trying to create awareness, build out community, and later on, you might turn on a certain component of the experience to drive the conversions. But I think that's important as people should like recognize that there should be hard goals when they create like these projects on a more ambitious level. Yeah, and I completely agree with you, and and that's why I always say you first have to ask who's your audience because you know what are you doing? What are you selling? You're always selling something, right? What are you selling them? Just an experience that they can just interact and have an awareness of, or you actually want them to buy a product? And that's two different audiences. Um, you know, a few years ago, um, I in Story World One we had the uh, um, the very long uh, um, a talk by Pereira Dell and. Intel about the inside experience and the interesting thing about the campaign in the department that deals with these awareness campaigns is they're not interested and this is a very big company Intel is not interested in people buying their product they're interested in creating awareness in a certain segment a certain audience so they have a lot of money to do that but you know it's a very different style of campaign and it's exactly what you just said and, uh, you know, and it's very interesting to see, you know, you can measure anything today, right? Um, you can measure any kind of interaction. The question is, what, what is your end result? And I agree that, you know, creating a transmedia project for, a tra for transmedia's sake is cool, but that's just a novelty and the novelty will wear off. Um, I think we're at the place right now that the, uh, the whole conversation is trying to mature into what is going to be the ROI? How do you actually use it in marketing? And actually get you know effective results. So it well, also, an and also, and what makes it hard is the fact that um, if you apply a, a transmedia to marketing, then sometimes the, the question is, what is the assist? Because something might seem like a, a waste, but it actually makes it so you can convert much higher on another platform. So your TV could really help your banner ad, whatever it is. That there is a there's almost a work in tandem. So that there is a challenge for how do you measure because you don't know what's helping what. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so I find that interesting. And then uh, another part of his article I found was interesting. It was he wrote, "Is it should this be judged? A uh, project should be judged on its own merits or how it connects and fleshes out to the connected mothership project." So is it just, it, does it stand? Yeah. Or do you judge on it standing on its own, or are you judging on how it connects? I think, you know, connect the connectedness and the whole package is what I want to see in transmedia because, you know, as I said before, you know, there are certain things that, you know, I, I was playing Tim Kring's, um, uh Jackboxers uh, last year, and that was the, the ARG game that came out of the webisode of uh, Daybreakers, which came out of touch, right? So that's a whole big transmedia experience. And for the ARG, there was, I think, just a few thousand of people. And I was on two Facebook groups and another group. There was like a couple of hundreds of the rabbit fans who were really into it and just were working together to solve issues and, you know, and supporting each other. But that's the rabbit fans. And the question is, you know, 
did did we make enough noise to get other people excited about this bigger this bigger story world the the webisodes and the um and the actual touch uh series the fact that touch came back for a second series hopefully means that we did our job well because i mean for me myself as a fan i'd like to see that happen i enjoyed the tv show so you know it, it's also really looking at the whole picture and you know sometimes you put in and if you think about it in arg yes args we all know they're not for the masses usually they're usually much more for the rabid fans but they're a marketing tool and as we talked about it before marketers and 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 you know, uh, ad agencies throw a lot of money in a lot of places, and it doesn't always hit. Yeah, you don't uh, know what but, you don't know what works and what doesn't work. Exactly. But it seems now what's really driving ad agencies is not the creative, but it's the analytics is now starting to take more con- more of a more more of a dominant position of leading these agencies. That's what I'm. That's what my impression is uh, that it, that's it starting is. to it is and dictate you know, all and the decisions more than ever. Yeah. It is because I also have a lot of inside information about it, especially for my dear husband works for an aggregation company. So that's like your uh, multi-channel transmedia analytics, if you want to call it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, it basically is taking the big, big, big uh, brands and really breaking up what they're doing on every channel and figuring out if this is helping or not. The issue is, and, and it's something that we talk about a lot is uh, between myself and himself, is that you can tag anything and, and, and the metrics, you know, we're human beings. It's hard to really understand what drives us. So there's, there's, you know, yeah, you can measure stuff, but what are you, you can measure anything, right? So what are you really measuring? And so, so this is a whole different conversation of metrics, which is, you know, something that aids transmedia and media and how we actually get paid and monetized, but is also very difficult not to crack because what are people doing? And really the bit, the biggest no that we know is when people actually hit the buy button. That's knowledge. Everything else is is really hard. Are they talking? Is it awareness? Is it you know? Is it semantics? What is this? Everything else is much more of a bigger unknown. But the actual buy button is what you want to. Well, well, de- well, definitely. The thing is, it's kind of like if a uh, transmedia campaign was built around a brand uh, like like say Pizza Hut and it's connected to a TV show and as you watched the TV show you have some type of Facebook component where they were able to know exactly how many people were pressing a button to order pizza that was connected to Facebook or an app or something so they could actually measure the conversion so it was kind of baked into the experiences there's some commerce level and you know exactly if they're like wow we just sold 10,000 pizzas because of it we understand uh, how much money we spent to create this campaign, if it's worth it, and we can expand on it. Or, well, this doesn't work at all. We could just uh, like kind of let it play out and move on to something else. Yeah. yeah. So, I, so I think that's interesting. So the next part of this article is they start talking and he starts talking about, so who judges this as an art form? Because a typical film reviewer is not trained in understanding interactive, uh, you know, storytelling in the same way that you know there's a lot there's people that are are contributing to this scene but just the traditional film reviewer looking at this are they just looking at are they just reviewing the mothership the movie and that's fine but then actually say hey i need you to analyze this this as a critical success and how this all we weave these stories amongst all these platforms and now is this something that we should expect from the film reviewers or is this going to be entirely new type of uh, journalist 
I think it's a new type of journalist, I, or I think it actually could be a collaboration of journalists because, you know, we're moving from, you know, I, I don't think film is going to go away. I don't think television is going to go away, but I think there will be more of a story world around it. And I think, you know, film critics are are very focused and very specific and very knowledgeable. And I think actually having a tandem or even three different journalists working together and figuring out what happened is where uh, a, tra a good transmedia criticism or a write-up can, can come from because you'd like to find that person who's all into social media and understanding how it works. You like to have that guru of film criticism and, and knowledge and film history to actually really touch on that specific story. And, you know, that's your, your um, uh, gold MasterCard is your, your film. And then you've got all these other, other components of it. And you want to have maybe a third person that's really interactive and seeing where this world is going. You know, again, I, I think it actually could be a very interesting new form of, of write-ups, a new form of journalism, uh, the, the tandem or the collaborative journalism. Instead of having one person that could assess everything, which it seems daunting for a reviewer, you're able to have multiple individuals that could uh, work together in tandem and review this overall transmedia experience because the filmmaker could say, I liked how the film connected to this. And then the interactive could say, I liked how this act part interacted to another component. So they could work together and create a really interesting piece versus, you know, like you're saying that having one individual take it, take it all in. I think so, because if you think about it, and it's kind of interesting that journalism is kind of a lonely, uh, lonely uh, job versus, you know, film has always been a collaborative experience and transmedia even more so because you have to work with all these different silos. So why not create a different model for journalism? You know, especially because journalism is breaking down and you have all these bloggers and all these different, um, you know, different channels. So why not, you know, have the guru of film work with the guru of social media and social interaction? Um, and I think it will be you know, again, all boats rise in the rising tides much, you know, both of them will even have a bigger reach because they all combine audiences. So why not attack a transmedia collaborative project with a transmedia uh, uh, journalism uh, covering it as well? I think that's really interesting. So if anybody is from Mashable that's listening, that would be a really uh, cool way to uh, assess projects was to tie the social media component which, you know, from Mashable or another uh, exactly. uh, great site that could uh, really assess the, the value of the transmedia influence and how it works off of the film back and forth. So that's great. So on to the next article. It's uh, called Transmedia Storytelling is Bullshit by <laughs> Mike Jones for MikeJones.tv. And just to let everyone know, he doesn't literally mean that all transmedia is bullshit. He's basically using that to get your attention, but he does have some criticisms uh, regarding uh, certain individuals that latch onto that term and may feel that they're disrupting thousands of years of storytelling and saying this is entirely different. So I, so that's so one thing I want to make sure to clarify before we get into it is that it's this is to get your attention, but then rest on it, if you look on a greater level, there's a lot of different perspectives he's bringing to light. It's not just simply him slamming it. So well, did you have a chance to check it out? I, I read a little bit about it, and you know I like what he says there. But you know it's it's not a. I agree that it's not a a, a real new way of storytelling. It's just um, a con a context to 
start from. I think the, the greatness of having a word like this and having a philosophy and an idea and a methodology is that it gets people either behind or against it. It's a starting point. We talked about it in the beginning. And, and, it, and it's very, what I love about it, and I love the word, is that it actually gives you somewhere to start from. We are in uh, a, a deluge of media and ideas and technology and, and apps and platforms. But to have something to organize yourself around, a starting point is really helpful. People need that clearinghouse, that clearing in the forest to understand what is going on. And I think that's where transmedia's strength is, is to give some kind of structure. Uh, he's, uh, not, he's, not, he's not criticizing the term as much as he's criticizing the certain kind of uh, language that's occasionally thrown around where people are saying, this is a, these technology, he's saying, you know, these technologies require a different kind of storytelling. The old t- ways of storytelling doesn't work. Like he's, he's, he's saying that there's certain areas where people are just kind of like, I guess they're, they're, they're not respecting the past. And that's what he was, uh, that what's why I feel he's attacking is that, um, that he says he agrees that there is a new uh, visual language and there's new parameters and there's mm-hmm. some new rules, but he doesn't want people to completely abandon that there is, you know, there's, there's an essence to what is it tell a great story. And that's something that's timeless. So that's what he's yeah. saying is that is the respect, at least the respect that as you move forward and explore the new platforms. Yeah. And actually I, I really agree with him. And we just had uh, the wonderful Jonas Sachs talk in our, uh, January event, and he actually talks about this as being like the digital era, because we're pat- we're getting out of the broadcast era, and the broadcast era was an era where storytelling was told the first time in our existence differently, because before, you know, especially starting from, uh, you know, our our um, our uh, ancestors, we would sit around the fireplace and exchange stories together, and it was very interactive, you know the the shaman would start a story or the storyteller of the tribe will start the story and then people will jump in and go, and, and I felt this and I did that. And we we stopped doing that when we got into the broadcast era because we would lean back and just listen. And now we're back into the times where we can watch a television show and you know be with our iPhone on Twitter and we can interact live with the audience or even with one of the characters where it goes back to we're all sharing in this human story and it's back to actually the traditional story. So I think actually, A, yes, you know, this is not a new way of telling stories. This is actually an old way of storytelling, but it's with new, um, with new tools. And that is really interesting. No, exactly. And he's, you know, he basically says, you know, you look at, you look at people, people like they're, they get, they're, they're, they're going to the world. Right. And then they, and then they die, you know, there's like the human experience, you know, like the, the, the strong, the most important part of someone's life there, even if you look in the past, you know, we are, there are, we have technology of everything, but the, there's a, there's a part of the experience that is these universals. And I, I think that he just wants to make sure that the, like in his words, the transmedia fishing autos are not trying to s- d- to separate themselves from that, but embrace the, the so they want to break. So this so the thing is, it's trying to look at, we're not in the future. So we just divorce ourselves from everything that, that is, that we're, our, 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 our history of communication is built upon. He says there should be more delving into the past, delving into what makes a film great. What makes these, uh, what makes these things work? What makes a play work? And then get from that versus, what he feels is that there is this this idea that we we're that that we're no longer we're no longer connected to that and transmedia is something bigger and better and that's what he thinks is this, so it's no longer looked at as like a shiny toy. Yeah, exactly. 
Exactly. So, yeah, it's and it's not. It's uh, it's a the convergence point, and you know, uh, Henry Jenkins has that thing really right. It's where everything converges. Everything we've learned up until this point convergence converges, and transmedia is a great word for this convergence moment. And um, oh, it totally is, and he's just saying that like, look at like the stories from like you know basically like that long ago to video game consoles and everything, but they're. The experiences each offers a new qualities that people enjoy. So it's so there are there is definitely the 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 way you experience a story is gonna be completely different. But there's certain DNA to a, a story, and uh, that's one of the areas. And the other area is that uh, he writes is that it's not an all or nothing drug. That you know, or that 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 sometimes the transmedia is that people in transmedia say you need a Twitter, you need this. But certain experiences can be one-offs, while others are like just perfect for a transmedia story. Is that it's not one's a lesser form if it doesn't have it. Others just have more opportunities to create meaningful experiences on other platforms. And it's completely correct. Not every story needs to have, uh, you know, an ex- an immersive experience that goes everywhere. It can be a one-off. I mean, not every book needs to become a film. Uh, not every poem needs to be sang. I mean, it, it, and I think it, that's the. One of the things we talk about in transmedia stuff at all times is, you know, use the medium with the mess with the correct message. Don't force every medium on every message because it doesn't work that way. You know, if you're going to tell a story on Twitter, make it work for Twitter. Uh, don't try and do the same thing on Facebook. Don't try and do the same thing in a movie. It just doesn't work. Um, and there's some stories that are just good finite, you know. I kind of thought I thought about it. one of my favorite films of all time is Amelie. I love that film. It could be an amazing story world, but he didn't do it. It's fine, you know. It's just perfect as it is. And the funny thing is, if so makes a, a good enough you know piece of work, that the fans will create their own transmedia experiences uh, out of it. They will create their own fan fiction and they'll they'll tweet about it. So even if so even if someone decides not to do it, and doesn't doesn't make sense. There could be like a heart some a small group of really hardcore fans that will create it regardless. Exactly. Of getting the, the approval. Exactly, exactly. And, and I think this is, again, moving away from the broadcast area to the digital area where we, the fans, we, the creators, we all share in this experience, which is, by the way, you know, it's kind of, again, very interesting because at all times, in ancient times, they look at artists as, you know, artists create 50% of the art and the audience create the other 50%. So it has always been revered as a collaborative effort but for some reason in the broadcast era, it's like you sit back and you look at it, you know, during I'm sure during the uh, the, the old roundhouse and, and the old uh, Shakespearean uh, um, Shakespearean times, people would be part of the audience. They would break the fourth wall at every time they would turn to the audience and have conversations with them and get the audience to react. So, you know, it's definitely something that they wanted. And only in the broadcast era, all of a sudden we had a screen that we couldn't do anything with. Uh, and we're breaking that again. And uh, no, exactly. We're we're giving the opportunity for a real conversation, a, a social experience, and and uh, lastly, his um is uh was one uh criticism of just saying is, is that people should make sure that if they do want to do a transmedia project, they do it because they they have the story, but also they have the resources and budget to support that, because he's he's saying that if you're going to do an ARG or do all sorts of extensions. But you don't have the, you know, like literally, you don't have the, you know, the team to support that and the budget. Try to make your, just make one piece of content very good. Win on one platform, 
if you're not able, if you don't have the ways and means to win on multiple simultaneously. Exactly. So you and don't dilute oh, your product. Exactly. And, and also be smart about it. And, you know, if you're a very, very small independent and you still want to do transmedia, you know, get an intern to write Twitter feeds, you know, do it, do it in a way that it's, is actually manageable. You know, use things like Hootsuite, you know, things that are not gonna drive you, you know, down the ground and actually dilute your bigger experience. And then fo you yourself focus on the big, you know, the big ticket. And you can still do an experience that goes beyond just your main thing, but do it smartly and phase it out and, you know, use crowds, uh, crowdfunding and crowdsourcing because people are interested in joining and creating beautiful things. And I think it's also that collaborative concept i mean if you're the leader of the idea the idea is always going to be yours but opening it up to your audience and letting them feel they're a part of something interesting is a good thing you know if it works because you know there's certain times it definitely does not work and uh now we're uh, moving to uh twitter because we're speaking of what is the modern equivalent to telling stories at the campfire and in a sense twitter offers that value uh, whether you're not you're, you're watching a, a sporting event like I'm, I'm a big fan of mixed martial arts I watch UFC and there's people tweeting uh, this uh, simultaneously and I have a 360 experience of it whether or not it's a athlete a journalist a celebrity my friend and suddenly there's this this dialogue that's just wrapped around what's happening and it's not just the sport itself it's also the the, the the what happens with the fighters if there's feuds so there's this whole extra layer of story that's on top of what you're already seeing and that's what i, I really appreciate and and this article is uh called uh twitter's latest investment is about analyzing all those tv related tweets this is from business uh insider by marcelo belovive and here they're talking about how just twitter recently uh purchased uh, a startup called bluefin labs yeah and that really gives much more information on um, who, the tweets and uh, who's uh, creating them. It's kind of an idea that would offer value to advertisers and networks. Yeah, and it's really interesting how Twitter is definitely that live interaction. And you know, and again, you know, ourselves, the way we communicate on these different platforms is very different. I communicate very differently on Twitter. I use it when, you know, I use it daily, but I really find that I use it when I'm watching something or I'm, a, or a, I'm in a conference. So it's kind of like another level of interaction with um, my group while I'm interacting with something else. So it, it really is a very different way that the way we consume Twitter to almost anything else. Um, and, and I think it's really important because of the way it's just a stream. It's a stream of consciousness of the whole internet at any given moment on any given subject. And it can really measure the buzz and the... In the, in the thoughts of what people are doing uh, while they're doing something and they're doing it together. So there's really that feeling of campfire to it, which is, you know, Facebook is a little bit more latent. It's, it's more um, your scrapbook that you show to the to the masses. Yeah, and there's, it's kind of funny because on one side, when I started watching House of Cards from Netflix, from Netflix, I was, I was really excited. I'm like, I could just binge on all these shows. And it's a great show, but... There's a side of me that wanted to go on Twitter and really wanted to delve deep into the conversation that's being had. But I noticed that a lot of the conversation was very shallow. It was, wow, this was this is good. This is good. Because nobody wanted to reveal spoilers because everybody was 
watching these episodes at a different uh, pace. Yeah, so some people were two episodes in, some people were a lot more. So I realized there was a certain courtesy that was going on amongst all the people who were tweeting. But on the flip side, the idea of having all the episodes at once is great, but you lose that kind of cultural conversation that happens uh, with it because even the bloggers can't really write about it. So you read the articles about it, they can't really delve into spoilers. But if you watch a show like Game of Thrones, yeah, and some amazing thing happens in the show and you're just shocked and you're in awe and you're just like you're just like totally stunned by the brilliance of the creators and then you're going what do you think is going to happen next and suddenly this conversation is happening and nobody has to play you know put play cool and not say everything because there's someone at a different pace and if someone's at another part and they're like they're way behind well that's their problem because you know this is where the dialogue's taking place you should just stay out of it until you you get you know you get up to speed with a house of cards you can't be speak as freely so i think there's there's that component is as much as i like the netflix uh dynamic of binge viewing if there was some type of hashtag that that anyone who clicked through this hashtag would kind of know that this is this is spoiler zone i think that would be good but just something that people could riff like like bookmarks to where stage you are in the binge viewing would be good, but I think it's it, it it adds so much it adds so much more to the experience. Well, and I think you know to your point, I, I agree that it's like the water cooler. You know, Twitter is kind of the water cooler of the internet. It's the, the what's happening right now, and um, and I think one of the things you always see with uh, since we've been with social media for about ten years now is that you know, there are new things takes a little bit of time to get used to, and then people actually aggregate they they form alliances they they actually start uh to self um organize and i think you know what you just said i think probably people will start saying hey you know if you want to talk about this episode the hashtag episode two talk about all your stuff there if you know you start actually creating lists for that and i think people will start will start doing it after they've gone through the first experience of what they're missing and you know, and then people can actually start having those conversations and i think things like get blue or anything like that where you check in whenever you check in you can actually have a conversation there the specific episode that you're watching and see who watched there and, and talk about it live with people who are watching it at that point because there's so many of us at some point if you watch a, a television show probably somebody else is watching it even if it's uh by demand at, at your own time so i think it's it's we're going to lose some stuff, but we're going to develop other ways of, of self-regulating ourselves. Well, yeah, to make it yeah. work, that would definitely do it. But I have to say that to have a truly magical experience for me, it's when the show is this premieres and then you get it. Everyone's just shocked by it or they're watching a sporting event or watching Oscars or Emmys or when it's just rolling out and everyone's encountering it for the first time. I think that's probably one of the best TV experiences. Uh, yeah. regards to connecting with social media because once it's already kind of happened that you're looking at things that are older there's less of this back and forth there's less of that uh there's less people having this this conversation so you might have something that's out a couple of days and some response to a, a tweet but if it's actually in the moment there's a there's this rapid fire communication it's trending and i think that's probably one of the saving graces of, of tv is is that now Twitter is saying, hey, as much as this is innovative, this is also conventional. This is instead of time shifting and, you know, watching on demand, the Twitter in a sense is saying, hey, you know, there is a value to watching when everybody else is watching it. 
There is. I, I completely agree. And I think what, what we're going to see is 50-50. There are still going to be things that are live. You know, sports is a live thing. Uh, Grammys, Oscars, EGOT, the whole thing, right? Um, and uh, and uh, things like uh, uh, American Idol are things that you, they're best consumed live. And I don't think that is going to go away. Um, and I think that there will be uh, series that are like House of Cards that you're going to binge on them and that's the way you're going to consume them. And then there are going to be ones that are like, no, we're doing an online experience for you at a certain certain time and you can join us and watch this television show and be on Twitter and have this experience with the community. And that is really right for this. You know, so so I think it, it, it's because we're still all consuming older TV shows all the time and people are still tweeting about, I mean, you know, people will still tweet about Buffy here and there, you know, and that show hasn't been around for 10 years. So, you know, it, it, if it's a cult show, it's a cult show and it will become that. But if it's something that is consumed at a certain moment, you know, it's, that's different as well. And I know that, you know, I, I started watching, you, you always start watching certain TV shows a year later because of something you missed it and, and then you get into it and you still consume it. And there's still a lot of people who do that. Um, I, I think it's just, as we said, not all size fits all, you know, every medium and every story should try something new and see how they attract and talk to their audience and see what is their success me measurements are. And uh, you're starting to see that Twitter is working with, you know, this, this, the study, the demographics, and it's become part of the looking at ratings. That is the Twitter is now one part of that metric. Mm -hmm. Because if you think about it, if there is a small, you know, uh, but hardcore fan base, and they tweet like crazy about a show. They could there's that there is that viral component that they could be the ambassadors of a new show, and sooner or later they're just recruiting new viewers. That there is a there, there is a power to that. So if you're a TV executive, you could say, all right, well the show's not getting a tremendous amount of ratings. It's new, but do you see how how wild it's it's exploding on Twitter? Maybe we give this a little bit more time to see if this actually translates into conversions. Exactly. And it's basically taking away some work from Nielsen because Nielsen till like a year ago was still just looking at television. And we don't, you know, I haven't had a television set for a few years, but I consume even more media than I've ever done before because I have Hulu, I have Netflix, I have this, I have that. I download from Amazon, right? I download from iTunes because there are certain films that I could only get on iTunes. So there's all these different ways of consuming and you can't just say that if you consume it on the premiere, it's a make or break. You gotta look at the whole spectrum of audience and see where they're consuming um, their media from and, and, you know, really measure those metrics. Well, yeah, now um, Nelson's uh, teamed up with Twitter. So there's actually a partnership. Yeah. So, you know, Twitter gets Bluefin, you know, to, uh, to be able to understand the data of, you know, TV, of this dual screen experience. They have a partnership with Nelson. So you're starting to see there's a, Twitter's becoming a lot more sophisticated in mm -hmm. that area. And I think they're going to start, creating new value new value added for the for the brands and the networks and even the viewers because if they know people are watching alive what kind of element because it's not just throw ads at people it's because that's you know what i'm saying it's fine all right cool there's a commercial we have an ad around the same time and it's interesting but if there's ways to explore the story that are maybe supported by the brands where there's interesting assets or interactivity or certain games you could play or something that you could do that that within that app that you get from Twitter, whatever it is that you, the brands will know that you're spending time with it and maybe even 
create a conversion within that experience to actually buy something or get on, click a like or follow something on Twitter. So suddenly I think there could be a lot, a much, a very profitable uh, partnership with Twitter and um, that ecosystem. For, for certain, you know, and, you know, the smart brands have already started using, you know, I go back to, to the Tim Kring experience because that was, you know, all AT&T, but AT&T did something that, you know, Intel and Toshiba were doing a couple of years before creating a, an awareness campaign where us, the audience, just get get to enjoy fun experiences using a using an app that says AT and T in it, using looking at a webisode that says AT and T in it. But you know, it's just these are just the sponsors, and it's fine. You know, we're, there's nothing wrong about a big company sponsoring something for my enjoyment. I think I'm I'm putting on my consuming audience hat here, and you know, it's going to be very interesting to see what is going to come out of it because. I think as as we as we get into more personal analytics, uh, we're going to be much more we're going to be served ads that are really our interest because you know right now we, we're served a broad length of ads. If we click on anything, even if it's by mistake, we go to any other page, we go to any other um, uh, mobile sites, we get served again by that same ad, and, and you know people are getting annoyed and tired of that. Uh, so now actually getting into you know if you're watching this and this show you're probably a fan of this. Let's start actually seeing what kind of person you are. So we, you know, you know, for some people it's creepy, but for me, I'd rather be served ads that I might actually buy than have, you know, ask Hulu to stop serving me uh, ads for, uh, um, uh, what's his name, but the bad, uh, I, I don't eat meat and I don't eat fast food. So like for me, any kind of fast food is like, is actually annoying. And even though I asked, um, uh, Hulu to stop sending me that. I would say no. They never, you know, they never get that information. How can they get an information from me to understand that this is not working on me? So I think you know that Twitter and all these different uh, ways of of calling also be better to serve me an ad that actually there's a chance I'd click on it. Well, and I'll well and also too, if your tweets are public, they could see that you tweet about being a vegetarian or certain keywords, yeah. and then the ads that they give to you. Are going to be potentially different so i think that's the i think that's going to happen is that is going to drive the decisions they're not going to be gut and obviously creativity plays into it but you know you're watching a tv show they market to you vegetarian options or whatever it is is that you'll start seeing so on the so you might see a kind of a general sponsored by but now you have an an ad that's tweeted at you that is relevant so i think yeah. um i think it, overall it's going to be a it's not, I mean, people are going to say, oh, transmedia, and they could read books on it, what's going to happen. But just based on money, business, it's a good drive change, is that the Twitter is now a huge uh, part of uh, the, the, the writer's room, the, the yeah. showrunner and the social media and all those people are in the same place. But as now business models are built on top of that, you can see a lot of very interesting solutions, and they're going to tie into the idea of story extensions. But people are not going to be saying that. They're just going to be creating really these really compelling, you know, narratives and the fans are not going to know the philosophy behind it, but obviously the creators are going to. And I think that Twitter, the Twitter is probably going to be one of the front runners in it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's again, putting, putting everybody in the same room so they can all have the same conversation, the, the, the marketers and the writers and the ad, ad people. And then of course, adding the technologists, designers and everybody. I mean, we'll need bigger rooms, but I think, uh, really getting more people into not the decision making but the brainstorming uh part so there's more interesting 
um, disruptive ideas coming out of, of how to how to monetize this because it's important. You know, I know we all creatives and we want to see beautiful things happen on our screens, but at the end of the day, you gotta you gotta pay your um, your mortgage and your rent and all that good stuff. So you gotta have this as a sustainable market and not a dog eat dog market. Well, yeah, I think that um, I think that they're forced to they all be in this giant room, yeah. and there creates a continuity if the advertising side understands what are the goals of the writer and maybe the the advertising built onto the narrative or the social media guy is not going off on a, some off the reservation with his ideas and the writer's like whoa you know i don't think this works tonally and then there's actually the the showrunner is is working with him saying hey you know i think you should take a distraction and then the executive from the network's like wow we're making more money from the brands uh, that are willing to pay for his package uh, that Twitter's a part of, so now they're they're happy, and then um, and then Twitter's Twitter's you know happy because now they found a new way to monetize their platform, so more people are making money, and then the brands are like, wow, we have a much more meaningful relationship with our um, with our consumer versus just hitting them on one screen. We've basically have created this 360 experience that the Twitter will take them other places, and then they're watching on TV. So overall, I think it's a win win for everybody, and and. I think there will be more data to understand the the investments if there's if the the investments make sense on the ad side are they making money from this is this a really good ROI and then once you have all these different parts of the equation all kind of being worked out you'll just see it's interesting as you push forward with this new type of uh, viewing experience you're also honoring the past with the a time when people actually just watch TV with appointment viewing so it's really fascinating to see the evolution but also kind of the the continuation of um, that that legacy of that style of uh, consumption. Yeah, definitely. And you know, as soon as we get all the business models aligned and everything works again, then we'll get uh, uh, contact lenses with Google Docs on them, <laughs> uh, Google, Google uh, Glass, Google View on them, and we'll have to like throw everything, throw the towel in again, and start again, which is which is always fun. I'm all for disruption. Well, on that note, you know, it was a real pleasure having you on our show, and. Uh, I look forward to having this conversation in the future. But um, yeah, if you want to plug anything or anything you want to mention before we wrap this up, please let it shoot. <laughs> well, thank you for you as well. I love what you're doing here. And uh, yeah, just follow us on transmediasf.org and on our Facebook. Uh, we both have both uh, uh, groups and a page, and our Twitter handle is transmediasf. So follow us. We're, we post a lot of what is going on and, and also about our specific um events that we have and we're gonna have probably another startup weekend and another hackathon soon but we have monthly events in san francisco and we'd like to see everybody there uh we always are interested in meeting new exciting people all right sounds great well hey you have a good day and we'll talk soon okay thank you peter Thanks for listening to another episode of Hollywood 2.0. This is Peter Katz. You can check me out at peterkatz.net. It's K-A-T-Z. And you can email me at katz, K-A-T-Z, films at gmail.com.